We're bringing you more conversations from our Investing Experts podcast, abridged conversations from our most recent episodes. Okay, David and Callum, it's great to have you on Seeking Alpha. Great to have you on Investing Experts. Callum, I'd love to start with you if you could lay out for our audience your bullish thesis on Exxon. So ExxonMobil from 2020 to 2022, it's you kind of have like a normalized free cash flow of about 30 to $31 billion. 2020 would be an example of a bust. 2021 example of like a middle of the road situation. 2022 example of a very good year for Exxon. So within those three years, you could argue that you have a good normalized free cash flow. And if you uh, look at what ExxonMobil has done with those free cash flows, it's paid down a bunch of its debt, it's bought a lot of its stock, and it's maintained its dividend payout and marginally increased it. So my bull thesis is basically the stock appears to be moderately undervalued using discounted free cash flow analysis. It's a cash flow generating powerhouse with a lot of growth opportunities. And its balance sheet has improved immensely in the past few years. I from the end of 2017 to the end uh, March 2023, it's paid down over $30 billion in net debt. So strong balance sheet, free cash flow generating cow, very shareholder friendly. And that would be my the summary of my bull thesis. All right, David, I'll follow up. What's your thesis and why are you bearish on the stock? Well, um, I you know, understand what Callum is saying about uh, how Exxon's gone from being at the bottom of the barrel in March of 2020, that's, um, you know, the stock is up basically 200% over the last three years. So pretty much the, the top line uh, issue I have for the, for the thesis is the fact that everything Callum has said is already priced into the stock. It's up 200%, but yet over the past year, it's down 5%. And it's bounced off of, I believe Callum's price target is like 122. And the price is, you know, I, I think it was 105 yesterday. I think it's dropped two or 3% today. It's in the 102 range. But it is, it's, it's tried, it's attempted several times this year to, to break above the 120 level. And it just can't, it can't do it. And there's several reasons for that. You know, there's just so many different reasons uh, one is that, you know, like I said previously, all the good news is priced in. And uh, when you get to a certain point, like if you take Callum's uh, price target of 122 and the price of 105, whatever it is just now, that's only about a 15% uh, bump from where we are right now. And on, on top of that, you know, so when you're, it's kind of like uh, you're, when, I don't know if you guys have ever played the game of Jenga, but you know, Jenga's where they, you've got like 34 blocks or something and you, you start off by pulling one out and putting it onto the top. And in the very beginning of the game, it's, it's super easy to be right and, and not be too worried about the whole pile toppling over because it's strong and it's just, you're just getting started. But when you get 200% to the highest point of the Jenga game, that's when it gets really risky and there's a there's a big chance that the entire stack is gonna come tumbling down. And so investing is counterintuitive where you know you wanna invest when everyone else is 
negative on the stock. That was back in March of 2020. When I bought the stock at 35, it was a 10% yield and everyone hated it. It was going to, Exxon was going to go under, you know, got, you know, we were in the middle of the pandemic. Nobody was driving. It was the worst, you know, time in the world to invest. You know, I think oil actually went negative per barrel. So they, they couldn't even, you know, they were paying people to take barrels of oil at the time that I bought the stock. And then now it's 200% higher and it's, it's bouncing up against the upper edge. And a lot of what Callum says in his last, you know, couple articles are, um, you know, are, are pretty much right. You know, ExxonMobil has done a great job over the last few years, you know, repairing its balance sheet. And, uh, <clears throat> but as far as the price to free cash flow valuation, it's kind of tipped to the downside due to the fact that uh, the refinery profits have, have dropped off drastically. So um, when, in my latest article, what I was seeing was, is that, you know, ExxonMobil is fine, but I, this isn't the time to buy ExxonMobil. The there's other uh, stocks and other oil and energy stocks in the sector that uh, have much better upside opportunities and higher yields. Like, uh, I think there was three recent downgrades of ExxonMobil by JP Morgan, Mizuho, and Goldman, all kind of making the same point that I've been talking about in my articles. You know, JP Morgan is uh, concerned about the refining margins falling considerably. And uh, it's uh, and, and on top of the challenging, uh, tough economic backdrop, you know, that's another thing, you know, you got to consider uh, where we are as far as in the economic cycle, like there's this long awaited recession that hasn't come to fruition yet, but it seems like it more, more likely than not, we're going to have some type of a pullback in the, here in the next coming months. So you might get a much better opportunity to buy into ExxonMobil, uh, than you have right now. And, uh, Mizuho was the same thing with the refiners and then, Goldman actually downgraded them based on the fact that all of the good news is priced in with a 7% free cash flow yield on 2024 estimates of uh, of oil. Maybe a trivia thing, but you're talking about WTI going negative. One of the reasons why that happened is in America, you have to take physical delivery of oil. Like if you are trading oil futures, West Texas Intermediate is based on supplies to Cushing, Oklahoma. You have to take physical delivery of it. So one of the, it went negative because uh, basically uh, you had to pay people to drive like semi-trucks with pools in the back to just dump crude into those where Brent, it's all paper futures. That that was just some trivia thing when you brought that up, but I the March of twenty twenty things were uh, quite dire. And then, but what I like about Exxon Mobil is its commitment to investors because it's a volatile game, commodity markets. I mean, fundamentally, Exxon Mobil's performance is based on factors outside of its control. So if you, I mean, it, they're they're selling basically price takers, not price makers. So if you assume that a recession is going to happen, commodity companies are not going to be your number one investments opportunity but i think that america europe and china will narrowly avoid a recession 
largely because the official unemployment rates in Europe and America remain quite low, and America's official unemployment rate is less than 4%. People are complaining a lot about inflation and make me see prices of things going up, but they're still employed. They're still making money. And credit card delinquencies have ticked up, but they're not, we don't see the kind of delinquency rates we've seen like during the great financial crisis. So I, part of my bullish view on Exxon comes down to, I think though politically and how like households are coming under a lot of stress, but we will like narrowly avoid a recession in part because of things like the Inflation Reduction Act really is just additional fiscal stimulus and the infrastructure act is really additional fiscal stimulus so america's federal government is continuing to pump a lot of money into the economy the private sector is still quite strong even with interest rates on the rise and uh with exxon it the crack spreads for finding margins they aren't what they were in the aftermath of the russian invasion of ukraine i mean in 2022 i rate refineries were make like crack spreads were north of 20 dollars a barrel it was they were doing quite well, uh, but what, I, what matters most for ExxonMobil is its upstream segment. It's all about the oil and gas production and the trajectory of oil and gas production. And ExxonMobil, it's a powerhouse in the Permian Basin. Its assets in Guyana, which is a small a country in the northern part of South America, I mean, they found over a bill, 11 billion barrels of recoverable oil in Guyana. ExxonMobil owns 45% of that venture, along with Hess uh, Corporation and Canuck, this Chinese company. And uh, ExxonMobil's, uh, its major growth drivers will be the Permian Basin in Guyana. As its oil production in these regions continues to grow, so too will its cash flows at uh, keeping oil prices constant. So I think what I like about ExxonMobil is gaining exposure to a tried and true unconventional play and this emerging oil export like powerhouse in South America. Because unlike, if you look at the production sharing contracts in OPEC nations, oil companies are they're recovering their operating cost and getting like two dollars a barrel. Like if you operate in Iraq, that it's the Iraq National Oil Company that's keeping most of those profits. ExxonMobil, BP, Chinese state majors, state-run majors, they're just getting a little cut of that. But if you are a powerhouse in Canada, America, and Guyana, you get to keep a large chunk of those profits. So ExxonMobil has an attractive upstream asset base. And that is what I'm uh, most focused on. Like it's it's downstream based, the refineries, the petrochemical plants, because they have only a modest amount of exposure to Europe, relatively speaking. They have a lot of plants in America and Southeast Asia. Uh, they're better positioned than the European majors. But uh, for when you look at ExxonMobil's outlook, basically the, it's upstream outlook is now finally promising like they were having problems boosting their production during the 2010s decade their output of oil and gas like marginally shrunk but now because of the permian basin because of guiana and because of uh, their exposure to tanzania's emerging lng markets their oil and gas production outlook is quite promising so you look at uh, the debt net debt reduction i was talking about during my intro 30 billion dollars the net debt reduction like helps reduce their annual interest expenses they're also shaving $9 billion in costs off their operating expenses, largely through layoffs, corporate consolidation. So by the end of this year, their operating costs should be $9 billion lower on an annual basis compared to 2019 levels. And they've already achieved most of those savings. So I, I like ExxonMobil because at a constant oil and gas uh, pricing outlook, they should be able to steadily increase their earnings and cash flows because stronger uh, reduced operating costs, reduced financing costs and oil and gas production growth in attractive regions.
but I will concede that the downstream outlook is uh, it's not as promising as it was because you'll never be able to replicate 2022 in terms of like cert like crack spreads more than tripling overnight, and that's a black swan once in a life event. I, what I'm most interested in Exxon Mobil is a longer term play because you're talking about you should assess investors uh, what they want. Exxon for a short term opportunity, you there's all different kinds of ways to use like leveraged ETFs if you want to. Uh, predict where oil will go in the next month or two. But what I like about ExxonMobil is uh, the steady eddiness of this dividend aristocrat. Cause so we're talking about like it's uh, the per share quarterly dividend has not grown much since the oil pricing bust of late 2014 In late 2014, a crescendo happens where non-OPEC production because of America and Canada's like Canada's oil sands, America's uh, fracking boom. All of a sudden you have like millions and millions of barrels being added uh, per day to the global supply that OPEC decided to fight for market share. So from late 2014 to early 2021, you basically had a prolonged oil pricing bust. Oil prices kind of recovered in 2017, 2018, but they weren't, it wasn't like the heydays of the 2010 to 2012 period. So what I like about <clears throat> Exxon going forward is as its cash flows boomed with the oil prices recovering, instead of increasing its uh, dividend aggressively, it first focused on paring down its uh, debts. So like when you talk about a $30 billion debt, debt reduction, that's kind of where a lot of its cash flows have gone, is just repairing the balance sheet because of this prolonged oil pricing bust. So in, over the past few years, David's right, the dividend has not grown much on a per share basis. However, when you look going forward, ExxonMobil is now in a position where it can start to aggressively reward shareholders. Like we've seen its, uh, its share buybacks, like they spent, I think, around $15 billion last year buying back their stock because that's an easy lever to pull because you can, if you increase your dividend, you're increasing your cash flow outlays perpetually into the future. Where if you buy back your stock, that's uh, you can flex it up or down. So they started out by rewarding investors by buying back $15 billion of their stock last year. And they pushed through a 3 or 4% uh, sequential increase in their dividend in the final quarter of 2022. Going forward, like this upcoming October or September, they'll probably announce a much larger dividend increase because they've already done the hard work of repairing their balance sheets. So I think the dividend growth story is about to start. It ha- they've maintained their payouts during a prolonged oil pricing bust. That's how you. Be- but nobody's nobody's said that though, right, Callum? You're just guessing that, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is purely. I I would speculate they will push through a sizable uh, per share dividend increase the, during the final quarter of this year, and the speculation is built on they're going to achieve their cost reduction targets of reducing their annual operating costs by nine billion versus 2019 levels their annual interest expenses have shifted uh they're shifting lower from like 2020 they spent 1.2 billion on their interest expenses they spent 1.0.8 billion uh, last year so their interest expenses have gone down as their uh, net debt load has been brought under control and then i would uh, because their oil and gas production base is finally growing again they'll have a growing oil and gas production base they have a repaired balance sheet and they'll be able to push through some sizable dividend increases something that they haven't done in the past like i'll concede that exxon Mobil's dividend aristocrat status was maintained in part like by just very marginal payout increases from the 2015 to 2021 the, the outlook for exxon Mobil, Though it's now it's it's pretty bright in a seventy dollar WTI Brent environments, but you can't predict the price of oil. I mean, you could 
if you think a recession is going to happen, stay away from commodity names because I mean a recession just kills commodity prices in almost every scenario. But if you think a recession is going to be narrowly avoided, all of us like commodity names should like. I think there's a lot. There's some modest capital appreciation opportunities and a meaningful amount of uh, income generation potential for companies that have repaired their balance sheets. What I like about Exxon is the steady eddiness of it. So it is a lot of the uh, uh, positives are well known, but those positives, I mean, they're very needle moving. So you look at its huge exposure to the Permian Basin. Recently, Darren Woods, the chairman and CEO of Exxon, he's talked about how they're pursuing new fracking technologies to try to boost the oil recovery rates there. The recovery rates of unconventional place, it's about 10%. Like in the North Sea and the Gulf of Mexico, you can recover north of 50% of the oil in place. Fracking, you're, we're just scratching the surface there. So like one thing that's working for ExxonMobil's favor is you can you can see where the upside opportunities lie. So like before, get there's always the oil and gas prices and where that goes will influence the short-term move. It's in ExxonMobil. But if you look at it, there's a lot of technology improvements that could happen in fracking plays. This is not low-hanging fruit that we've seen over the past decade. This would be some, like, you got to get all your PhDs down there in Texas and in New Mexico to work this like, this out. Because we're talking about how do you keep the fissures open when you frack a well open longer? Because you use sand as a propens to keep those fissures open to get the oil flowing. And they're, they're I don't know exactly what they're testing out because he didn't get too specific into it but if ExxonMobil could increase recovery rates in the Permian Basin from 10% to 12% 20% or something that like starts to mirror like half of what you would for a uh, conventional play I mean that would be an immense amount of upside that's not priced in I think like in Ghana everyone knows Ghana is like a huge uh, growth driver for Exxon but it continues to deliver it's steady Eddie's success where every year you'll hear ExxonMobil and its partners announce a couple new big discoveries another billion barrels or two billion barrels of recoverable oil has been found I like ExxonMobil you can see the upside and you they continue delivering where if you're talking smaller oil and gas companies they there might be a lot of hidden potential there there's also a lot of hidden risks like maybe their assets aren't as productive or you know, whatever the situation is. Right. The stock's up 200%. You know, so it's about the stock, for me, is a big part of it, not just the headwinds coming on. I also think the stock has gone, it's been on a parabolic run, if you look at the chart, and it's rolled over in the last year. And so it's in the middle of a rollover. So as far as talking about the technical aspects of the stock is, is an issue for me as well, not just the, the macro view and, and those types of things. I think that's going to be, you know, one of the reasons why uh, it does continue on a downward stroke. You know, when in, based on the technicals right now, you know, a lot of people have different ideas about the importance of the technical aspects of a stock. But for me, it's... Uh, basically just telling you who's in charge. Are the bulls in charge or the bears in charge? And so for the last three years, the bulls have been in charge and they've just, everyone has just been piling in and piling in. You know, the story was horrible in March. And then all of a sudden everyone's like, hey, guess what? Oil and gas is, uh, you know, kind of is where it's at right now. You know, nobody's in, nobody's invested in that. So it's just been going up, 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 up. And they'll finally it hit that range where it's almost at your point where you say, hey, the future, you know, uh, cash flow model says says it should be 120. Well, that's where it was, and so a lot of people are like, okay, it's it's uh, it's fairly valued here. It's time to take profits, and so it's rolled over. So now, 
kind of seems like the Bears are in charge. And so we'll just have to see. Thank you, Callum. And thank you, David. I really appreciate you both joining us today. And uh, all articles referenced from Seeking Alpha, you can find it on the show notes below the episode description of this podcast. Look for Callum Turkin's articles on Seeking Alpha and David Alton Clark's Winter Warrior Investor Investing Group. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. This is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. If you enjoyed the episode, leave a rating or review on your favorite podcasting app, and we'll see you soon with a new episode.